0: Would you take out your bibles we 're going to John chapter three we 're looking at a passage where if you if you actually look at a lot of chronologies of jesus' ministry and all you won 't even find this <laughs> I, I, I i barely i didn 't really understand it was there, and neither does many others. Jesus had an entire season of ministry after after, after he left Jerusalem there, when we've just read about the cleansing the temple, remember? He goes down to Jerusalem, cleanses the temple. He has this conversation with Nicodemus. You know, he must be born again. All of that wonderful conversation. John, is, John the Apostle is now going to tell us that Jesus went out with his disciples, and I'll say more about that, out into the region of Judea. Judea is southern Israel. Judea is the area around Jerusalem. Clear, clear over to the coast of the Mediterranean. Uh, clear to the Jordan River. Uh, clear down, if, if you were, down to Be- Beersheba and the Negev. That's, that's Judea. I didn't really realize this. What we're talking about today is the first year of Jesus' public ministry. And the other Gospels don't record it. The other Gospels pick up after the things we're reading today. That's amazing, isn't it? The Apostle John. So you, when you begin to think about Jesus' ministry in life, you've got to put in these first three chapters of John. This is the beginning. This is the first year. And so we're seeing the early ministry of Jesus. And it's a powerful thing. Father, would you open our hearts today? Lord, your word is your word. Your ways and your thoughts are your ways and thoughts. And we want them in us. Would you disciple us today? Through the word of God. We would be strong and unafraid. We would be full of the spirit in these days. Lord, teach us your word and grace me to get out of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. I'll start at uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 22. I'm going down to verse 30. After these things, we've just had that wonderful conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus has been in Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. See it there? And there he was spending time with them baptizing. All right, so he's going out and he's preaching and he's baptizing through Judea. John also was baptizing in Ainon near Salim. Because there was much water there and people were coming and were being baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew. And when it says it like that, it's talking about a religious leader uh, uh, from Jerusalem or a Pharisee. Somebody in that kind of category. Because everybody in this picture is Jewish. Um, so that, but the term was used for religious leaders. With a, with a Jew about purification. They're talking about baptism. And, when, and they came to John... And said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Let's say what John said together out loud. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Let's do it again. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's say that. He must increase, but I must decrease. I think it's easier. We're talking about embracing change. It's something we all enjoy. I think it is easier to handle failure than it is to deliberately walk away from success. Let that that sink in a minute. I think it's easier to handle failure than it is to deliberately walk away from success. When we fail, we have no choice but to face reality sooner or later and admit that we've fallen short. But when we succeed at something, we tend to grow proud. And as much as we may complain about all that the success demands of us, we cling to it desperately. It gives us meaning. It validates our existence. It becomes more than what we do. It defines who we are. So even to contemplate letting go because becomes a very personal threat. We view it as an attack and those who dare to suggest it to us as enemies. But the seasons of our lives must change. And the fact is, there's no stopping that change, even if we try. Have you noticed? Your life and mine is a series of chapters. And there's no stopping it. There's one season, and it gives way, whether you want it to or not, into another season. And I'm not just talking about aging. There's many of these seasons in our lives. There's we, so one thing is there, and it looks like this is settled. Sometimes things are going so well, it's just so wonderful, and then it suddenly must change. And you didn't even want it to change. <laughs> you know, like, what's going on here? There are seasons. We have to see this. There's no stopping that change, even if we try. So we must hold all things loosely. Say that. We must hold all Yeah, it doesn't mean you're irresponsible. It doesn't mean you're passive. It just means that you hold it there before God. And when he wants to change it or take it, you'll let him have it. You don't do this. You don't grip. You hold faithfully. Do You see the difference? You hold open with an open hand. You hold people with an open hand. You don't grip them. You hold them with an open hand. In other words, see, see the blessings and success in our lives as gifts on loan from God. Not permanent possessions that we'll keep forever. It takes real maturity to do something well. As long as we need to do it. not Do something well and to do it as long as we need to do it. And then graciously stop when the time comes and give what we've been doing over to someone else. It takes real maturity to refuse to see that moment as a threat or a failure. And instead see it as a part of God's great plan. It takes real humility and faith to rejoice when God gives what was once ours to another. But it can be done. John the Baptist proves it. When that moment came, he was magnificent. Where are we? I think, my guess is we're at a place... Up the Jordan River, about 35 miles from where John had been baptizing before. When we saw him baptize Jesus, and we saw all of that dialogue in, 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 uh, in chapter uh, 1, all of that took place down just north of the Dead Sea. But if you go up the Jordan River Valley, about uh, 35 miles, you come to a place, and there's a bunch of springs um, on, the, uh, on the west side, and rivers and, and tributaries that kind of pour in there. And then, or some people think it's up. uh, There's a whole lot of hot springs uh, just south of the the Sea of Galilee that that end up pouring into the Jordan River as well. Now, if I were John, a little hot water for all his baptism wouldn't be a bad thing. Uh, And so you you could see him saying, "Let's baptize there," you know. So like, come on. And uh, (laughs) yeah, same thing as here. We have warm water, but wherever it is. He is north now, and I'll tell you why that matters in just a minute. Here we go. When Passover and the week of unleavened bread were complete, this is with Jesus there in Jerusalem, Jesus left Jerusalem, but he did not immediately return to Galilee. Galilee's that northern region. Instead, he and his disciples spent a lengthy but unspecified period of time, months probably, preaching through the towns and villages scattered throughout the region of Judea. Technically, during that period of history, Judea extended from the Jordan River on the east to nearly the Mediterranean Sea on the west and from the southern border of Samaria as far south as Beersheba near the wilderness of the Negev. John says only that Jesus went... Into the land of Judea. But he doesn't tell us where in Judea. Probably because Jesus traveled uh, to many different locations in that region. And while he spent time, while there, he spent time with them, the people of Judea, and was baptizing. However, we learn later that Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. So he would have been standing there overseeing, he preached prepared the people, but that his disciples were in the water uh, with people. We aren't told what Jesus preached during this early mission to Judea, but judging from the message he presented to Nicodemus and the statements John the Baptist made about him during this same period of time, we're going to read those uh, another time, Jesus had already begun inviting people to believe in him. The baptism he presented may also have moved beyond the baptism of repentance, to which John the Baptist invited people, and into the full surrender into which he himself had been baptized. We will baptize today at two o'clock. The Christian baptism, the baptism that we enter into, yes, it is about washing our sins away, but it's deeper than that, isn't it? We are buried with him in his death. So there is this deep surrender where I die with Christ and then I am raised with him in newness of life. I pledge the resurrection. I, I declare it. I die with Christ. I rise with Christ. So the man or woman who stands in that tank dripping wet this afternoon will be selling out to full discipleship. I die to my old life. I die to myself. And I will follow my Lord. on the the path he leads for me. For I will surely rise with him and live with him forever. Isn't that glorious? That's a powerful confession. And that is what for us, now, Christian baptism is, is, it was in the early church, and I'm, myself, I'm sure, it is our Lord Jesus who started that. (laughs) He is the one who set the direction for baptism for us. So I think he's preaching that kind of thing, which is different than John's. John says, wash away your sins, or the Messiah's gonna fry your grits. You know. Remember that? Yeah. He's coming with a pitchfork, and he's gonna take this stuff and throw it in the fire. You know, I mean that will preach. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's his message. All right. During this early season of Jesus' ministry, it appears that there were only, notice this, there were still only five or six disciples traveling with him. We don't have the full quota of twelve. They aren't there yet. They'll, they'll arrive when he gets, when he gets uh, back to the Galilee. Who do you think is with him? Who are the disciples with him? We've seen them introduced now. Who the first two that followed Jesus? It was Andrew and John. Not John. Andrew and John. They were standing there with John the Baptist. He looks up and says, Behold the Lamb of God. And, and the second time he did it, they go, Okay, Lamb of God. And off they went. They, they followed him. Then it says that, that uh, Andrew went and got his brother. Who's his brother? That's Peter, yes. He gets Peter. Thou art Cephas, upon this rock. You know, all his, so he talks to Peter. Then who is, who is John's brother? James. Now James isn't mentioned in this, but John never mentions his own family in anything. He doesn't mention himself. It's a modesty for him. And, and so it, it's almost certain James was there as well. Jesus went and found a man himself. Who was that? Philip. Remember Philip? He found Philip, and then Philip, and they went and found Nathaniel under the fig tree. Remember this? And so we now have six. We have six of the twelve. This is the early year. This is the first year. We're down in Judea. Jesus with his disciples goes out into the villages of Judea, preaching and baptizing, and his disciples are there with him. John makes no mention that any others had been added to the original group of men introduced in chapter 1. Six or seven more disciples would bring the total number to 12 apparently were not added until Jesus returned to Galilee. At this verse, verse 23, the apostle John returns to the subject of John the Baptist. He wants his readers to know that the great prophet continued to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah. He, his certainty about the identity of Jesus did not decline following their encounter at the Jordan River. However, later on, after a lengthy period of time in Herod's dungeon, he may have begun to question this. And I just threw that in because you will remember the fact that John said, are you the one we're supposed to wait for? When he sat in that horrible dungeon at Machairis, uh John did begin to wonder if he'd if he were correct. But early on, John did not stop preaching or baptizing, even though he believed the Messiah had arrived. He continued preparing people to meet him. The precise location of Einon is uncertain, though it is thought to be near the Jordan River, about 35 miles north of the site where he was baptizing in chapter 1. We're told that Einon, which means the springs, was near a town called Salim, meaning peace. And it may have been either near the city of Bethshan, or a few miles southeast of the Sea of Galilee. However, what is important to know is that in either place, John was near the city of Tiberias, Herod Antipas' capital. We read, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Suddenly, we are introduced to the fact that John the Baptist is in danger. And we learn that elsewhere that Herod Antipas would soon imprison him for declaring the king's marriage to be unlawful. Do you remember that? Herod Antipas had married his brother Philip's wife and of course he's claiming to be a Jew so so John the Baptist says that's unlawful you have no right Leviticus 18 same chapter we are debating today in the United States Leviticus 18 you have no right to marry your brother's wife all right Uh, neither Herod nor his wife took it well and yet John has John's a gutsy guy. He's moved up. If he's in those hot springs area, he's just a few miles. We stay at a, a kibbutz near Tiberias. We drive right by this area. So John's up there baptizing very close to this king. And notice the courage of John. He's not passive and he is no coward. He will take on this vicious king. And tell him he's more—he's he's morally in trouble with God, right to his to his face. Um, so he's—you already have a sense of the danger that's arising. The Greek words used here tell us that John's disciples started this discussion. They intensely questioned a man who was probably a Pharisee or a religious leader from Jerusalem about purification. The word purification might mean that they debated over a technical aspect of Jewish ritual washing. But in light of the way John's disciples reacted to this discussion, the man apparently had observed Jesus' ministry, his baptizing, And was able to report to them what he had seen. He must have told them about the growing number of people who were coming to Jesus. And that he was baptizing them. And they may have discovered that Jesus was teaching the meaning of baptism differently than John. Verse 26. Whatever it was, the man's report seems to have shocked and angered John's disciples. The crowds coming to be baptized by John may have been dwindling. And this was the moment when they realized that people had begun turning their attention to Jesus instead. After the discussion, they went to John and reported to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, notice they don't name him, to whom you have borne witness, behold, this man baptizes and all are coming to him. Clearly, this was new information to them. And judging from John's reaction, they saw Jesus as someone competing with them for influence. It's, can you believe this, John? That guy that you baptized, and you were nice to, and you even said he was Messiah oh, and no stuff, he dares to compete with us and baptize. Verse 27. John's response is one of the greatest statements of faith in the Bible. His words are full of humility and prophetic insight into his own calling. He began by saying, A man cannot receive anything unless it is something that has been given to him from out of heaven. In other words, he recognized that God was the source of the ministry which had been taking place through him. It was God who was convicting people's hearts and bringing them to be baptized. The amazing response he and his disciples had been experiencing over the past few years was not the product of human effort. They had been included in a miracle. And John recognized that if he tried to cling to a work that God wanted to bring to an end, he would be carrying on without God's help. He fully understood that no human can force God to bless us or what we do. We can only align ourselves with what God chooses to bless out of heaven. Do you understand that point? God will... John knew if God's moving his hand there's no fighting that. There's no fighting that. God can do what he wants to do and if there's this change of season if he is now moving and blessing Jesus I'm not going to fight it I'm going to honor it. Isn't that amazing? Now this is Okay, this is going to hurt. John was not being passive, nor was he unwilling to work harder. He was prophetically aware that a spiritual change was taking place. He knew that Messiah had arrived, but he may not have realized until that moment that the arrival of the Messiah meant that his own ministry was coming to an end. Yet he accepted that fact with no trace of jealousy or self-promotion. If heaven was now choosing to pour out its blessing on another, then he would gladly submit to the plan of God. Verse 28, Then John reminded his frustrated disciples, You yourselves are my witnesses, that I said I am not the Messiah, but that I have been sent by God before that one. In other words, the goal of my ministry has never been to promote me. My assignment has always been to prepare the hearts of people to love and honor someone else. Someone much greater than me. We can say that, but it's hard when, it, when we're actually having to, to give people into the hands of Jesus and they don't love us the same way. Do you understand? This is, this is, this is quite, the, quite the example he's showing us. Verse 29. <coughs> Then he used an analogy to help them understand the relationship between himself and Jesus. He compared that relationship to a marriage ceremony. At a wedding, there is a bride, a groom, and a best man. There's also, of course, a maid of honor. His point was to show them how wrong it would be for the best man to want the bride for himself. I suppose there's stories of that, but I don't want to hear them. (laughs) The bride, by which John meant the people, rightly belonged to the groom, by which he meant the Messiah, which he now knew was Jesus. And the proper role for the friend of the bride was to help make the arrangements for a happy wedding. When the best man hears the groom's voice, he must stand back and be glad the groom has arrived. For now the wedding can take place. John then explains to his disciples that this is why he felt joy rather than sadness at their report. People turning to the Messiah filled him with joy because it showed that he had played his part well. Notice this? This is not failure. This is success. They love him, not me. Verse 30. John understood that the change taking place in people's hearts was according to God's plan. He said it is necessary and there's a word in the Greek for that so this when it yours says must that's there there's a there's a, there's a it, it has to happen it is necessary that the one to for that one to increase and you might say it is necessary for me to decrease this was not a sad moment for him nor was the transition of God's blessing to another a sign that they had failed it was proof that they had succeeded it was a moment they should celebrate. All right, now let's talk about this. Defining success. Success is doing what God called me to do as long as God calls me to do it. Notice the second part of that statement? Not just doing it, but doing it as long as God calls me to do it. You gotta con- it's continuing. You can, we can start something and quit, and you never see it. Success is when I do what he's asked me to do, and I keep doing it, until he says the season has changed. <clears throat> Sometimes his plan requires me to continue far longer than I thought I could. Sometimes the Lord's you're saying, shouldn't the season change? Isn't it time for change? And the Lord's going, No, it's time for you to suck it up and and, and, and dig in and trust me, and I'll give you the grace, day after day after day. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. Yeah. At other times, his plan asked me to let go sooner than I wanted to. We just got started, Lord. This is cool. What do you mean I got to change? So to be truly successful is not only to discover his plan for my life, but to recognize when the season for that plan changes. As Ecclesiastes says so beautifully, let's read this together. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. That means that success requires not only achieving something significant, but gracefully giving way to others when God indicates that the time has come. And to do... That requires that I keep listening to him for guidance and guarding my heart from developing wrong attitudes. Do you notice? How am I going to do this? I have to stay spiritually awake. I have to be in communication with God on a continued basis. Not simply go, okay, I will seek God's will till I find what he wants me to do. But even when I find what he wants me to do, I must stay in that relationship. Father, how long do you want me to do this? Am I, am, I, am I right? There's this tenderness, this, this, this keeping an eye to what the Lord is saying that has to stay in the heart. John was showing that. John knew he was watching for the Messiah. And when, I don't think, I think this caught him off guard. I think this was a difficult moment. Uh, all of a sudden, his disciples say, Everyone's going to Jesus. What are we going to do about it? John had to look inside and go, I am not going to get jealous. I am not. He's the Messiah. I will bow my knee. I will celebrate this. I believe it was a choice. I believe he made an obedient disciple's choice. It was a powerful moment for him. So it means that success requires not only achieving something, but gracefully giving way to others when God indicates the time has come. And to do that requires I keep listening for guidance and guarding my heart from developing wrong attitudes. Rejoicing with John. Why was John the Baptist able to rejoice when crowds of people left him and began to follow Jesus? Make no mistake, that was a painful moment. But he chose to handle it well. And in his explanation to his disciples, he told them exactly why he was able to respond the way he did. Let's listen. We need those same attitudes. Number one, Verse 27, John knew that no human can force God to bless something. We can only align ourselves with what he has chosen to bless. Does that make sense? Yes. This is so fundamental. Because the, 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 our, we have been taught by the, by, by the church that if we claim certain promises or we find certain things, we can sort of set a course and, may, and God will bless us in it. He will be your co-pilot. Uh, he will ride shotgun in, the, in in your truck with you. You know, etc. He's your partner. So here's your promises. You set your course, and God will bless you as you claim them. Here's the problem with that. And I'm not even going to ask for who's tried it because most of us have. Um, notice I said us. It Doesn't work, does it? And here's the danger when you think you can take promises as you're leading and sort of work those promises and then God will bless you in it, it doesn't work and and people sooner or later say, ah, this doesn't work. Either the word isn't true or God isn't faithful or or they come up with condemnation, I must have done it wrong. The truth is, no, the problem is those promises are true for the surrendered disciple. For Jesus says, here's the deal. Here's how you're going to work. You're going to be like the wind blowing the tree. You are going to be led by the Spirit. He says, I only do what I, I see the Father do. I speak what I hear the Father speak. Jesus himself did nothing that the Holy Spirit did not indicate for him to do. You, you, you follow this? Holy, when, when he's hungry out in the wilderness, he's, he's, he's at the end of 40 days. He's starving. I mean, not just hungry. Starving. And the temptation comes, turn the rock into bread. You can do it. He had not been led by the, by the Lord to do so. So he says, no. I will only, I will, you only do what God has, has, has told you to do. Notice the surrender? That was the temptation. He would not act. When you, listen to me, when you and I are following what the Lord tells us, those promises all work perfectly. They are amazing. When you and I are, are in that surrendered, tender thing with the Lord, listening to him, following him, letting him lead, when you, you, when, and he begins to bring those promises to you and you begin to trust him for them as you walk, then you'll, you will see answers. I just saw one this week. They're just like, I, I, can't, I can't believe you're serious. How do you do even the little stuff? He even answers the little things at a very gracious level. The promises are true, all of them. Yeah. But they are given To the disciple, not the amused religious (laughs) aficionado, not someone who's decided to try a bit of God to see if it'll make his business prosper, etc. Do you follow this? I'm, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying that to say, no, no, you can have enormous success. But it's got to be done God's way. You fit into His plan. He doesn't fit into yours. And when the heart surrenders, when you begin to walk with Him like this, it works. You'll see miracles. I have some of you telling me one story after another like, I can't believe it. And I can't either. It's just amazing. The things that are happening in your lives. As you surrender, as you walk with Him. Okay, enough. I'll stop. (laughs) He was humble and realized. John knew that no human can force God to bless something. We only align ourselves with what he's chosen to bless. He was humble and realized that he was totally dependent on God. He knew it was pointless to try to continue if God chose to bring that season to an end. He knew that we are part of God's plan. We are are part of God's plan. He's not part of ours. When I was... um, trying to find the direction for my life in college. Uh, it was just, I, 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 I struggled and I, and I decided I wanted to be a, a, a medical missionary. So I was gonna go to medical school. So I spent most of my college years in, in uh, med- pre-medicine. And I, and I graduated with that. I was, I was one course short of what I needed. But I applied to medical school. And during those, during those years, I was not the great student in the sciences. Now, let's just be honest here. I worked really hard, and I survived, and I would have probably gotten in, maybe. But, but I, it was not my forte. But, I, but he's with me. I don't have any divine resistance. <laughs> but when it came time to apply to medical school and to take that turn, it, here's what it felt like. And here's how, I mean, I, this, I, this is, it felt like it at the time. I felt like a person who'd been riding a bicycle on a, on a, on a paved road, you know, you're pedaling along, there's, and the thing's going smoothly. And all of a sudden, I had turned the bike, and I'd gone out over a plowed farm field. And can, you can imagine the field. All of a sudden, everything slows down. And now you're trying to you just, you know, you're, you're laboring to move something forward. Does this make sense? I was now in the flesh. It was my effort trying to force this thing forward. Could I do it? I, I could try, but I, I began to realize, wait a minute, where did you go? I'm suddenly on my own. And that's when I, ha- I began to realize there's a season change. And I had to allow him to change my whole directions. I wanted to be a doctor, Mary was going to be a nurse, and we were going to some place in in, far, far away and be missionaries. And that was not his plan. Let me give you one more example. People often want you to do a wedding for them. And I've said this many times to people. I can't, I can't really even, I can't even marry you. I can't bless your wedding. I can only announce God's blessing if it's there. I can't, I have no, I don't have a box of blessings. I can dispense It's not like, oh, here, you want a blessing? Boink. (laughs) I'm not the blesser. I got no power to bless you. I got nothing I can give you. I don't have pixie dust. All I can do is announce what he's doing. And he blesses what he blesses. You follow that? This, you, you and I cannot wrench him around. We can you know, we can do that with our parents, we can do that with each other, you know, I I can pout long enough you'll you'll give in. But God doesn't. He does not give in. You can pout till to you run out of air, you know. Uh, but he will not give in. So I when we marry, we we will we turn away sometimes as many marriages as it will do. Not because we're picky, but because, you know, if you're an adult, you can do what you're going to do. But we can only announce the blessing of God on that which God blesses. So I'm often asking, is this person even biblically free to remarry? If it's a remarriage kind of thing. Or are they not? Some aren't. I, I got, it's not, I'm not trying to run your life, but I'm not going to step out of what the Bible says God will bless. And, do something and sort of pretend and say all the stuff over you because there's no power in it. Now it's a joke. Now I'm saying stuff that isn't happening. Do you see the integrity we need to have? We need to walk in very careful integrity. If I'm saying I like you and I'll bless you, you whatever blessing I have, you can have, but I'm not going to drag God into it. He blesses what he blesses, not what I bless. Number two, John knew that that the change that was taking place did not mean he had failed. In fact, the response of the people was proof that he had succeeded because his goal had never been to promote himself. His assignment was to prepare the hearts of people to love and honor someone else, someone much greater than himself. Boy, when we walk with the Lord and he's blessing us and doing all of this, we always have to remember it is about him not us. Now, I'll tell you why in a second. It's not an ego trip with God. In everything we do, we should be working for the success of those who will follow us. Rejoicing when they, when, when they do just as a parent rejoices when their child grows taller, stronger, and smarter. When, when we're walking with the Lord and we have success, the whole thing is about us, Jesus working through us, and raising up other people. It is bringing them to him, not them to me. If people people admire me, if people think I'm wonderful, if people have faith in me, they perish when they die. If people think he's wonderful, if people have fallen in love with him, if people have faith in him, they have everlasting life. Do you see the difference? It's life and death. This isn't a small matter. It's not God going, I'm not sharing my glory with anyone. Like, like he's some sort of insecure, arrogant individual. It's not about that. If they believe in you, they perish. If they believe in him, they have eternal life. It's that simple. So if I see that, then sure, I appreciate if people are nice to me and I'm nice to them and I want, you know, etc. But ultimately, the goal, you got to love him. I got to love him. This is about bringing people to him. John had that in his heart. That was his goal. So when he sees that God is bringing people to his Savior, he goes, this is a good thing, not a bad thing. Isn't that great? They intuitively understand, parents do, That there must be a transition because they love that child. They rejoice in their success rather than feel jealous of it. A a good parent, when their child gets uh, taller than they or stronger than they or smarter than they or whatever it is, don't go, don't feel jealous. Now, I know there's dysfunctional out there, so just ignore the dysfunctionals. (laughs) A good, healthy parent goes look how tall you're getting i i say this so often i i wanted one young man came up to me it seems like he grows taller every week right now and i'm getting, i'm looking now up at him he used to be this cute little and now he's up here you know and he just comes and goes and towers over me and i'm going like, you respect me i am de, i am the pastor you know you but uh, but i i'm 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 delighted I'm delighted to watch him grow tall. I'm delighted to watch them grow smart. I I, I watch my own children, all of them, uh, better grades than I had, smarter than I was. Hallelujah. Uh, Isn't that healthy? That, there's a, and this will be something you can relate to in the Northwest. And it's a phrase I use a little bit. uh, I never said it publicly, but hang on. (laughs) Dying like a salmon. Now think about it. Think about the selflessness of a salmon. You're going up that river, I mean, jumping the falls, doing a huge, all, all the way up to the source of, where, the, the, of that river. Then you either lay the eggs or fertilize them, and then what happens after that? They die, and their bodies fertilize the eggs as they develop. They literally die to pass on life to the next generation. Salmon get it. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> it's all about passing life on yeah. to the next generation. They'll do everything, they'll give everything to do it. You and I as we deal with others, yes with the younger generation, with other people, there's a sense in which our life is is like a salmon. We begin to pour out and give way beyond what's comfortable. Way beyond what we feel capable of doing. It literally that our, that, our, that our dead bodies fertilize the next generation. That we pass on our faith like that. This is not simply a matter between the old and the young. Because there are numerous seasons in each of our lives. Change is normal and a part of God's plan. But in his plan, the ending of one season, listen, always means the beginning of another. God never disposes of people. He never abuses people. He never exploits people. It's not like, here, I'm using you and I'm tired of you now and I'm putting my next one in. It's never that. It's you have succeeded here. I have another assignment for you. And in his plan, remember this, he's numbered your days and he has ordered your steps. There, is a divine plan for your life. You have things you're to accomplish. He knows what they are. We don't. And there's, so there's a humility, there's a submission, there's a trust that says, I don't get it. I don't know why you're asking this, but if that's what you're saying, Father, then I'll do it. And I'll do it as John did with joy. Seasons, we discuss there are seasons in our lives uh, seasons when we discover who we are in our assignment there are seasons in our lives when we develop our skill to do it well there are seasons in our lives when we've become we become good at what we do and we fruitfully effectively minister and then there are seasons in our lives when we mentor others to take our place people that people that do that people that pass on and raise up others joyfully are honored and loved. People that cling and hold on are resented, and people are glad when they're gone. Haven't we all seen this in both the good and the bad? You know, we want to see something vivid. Whenever you go to a memorial service, and I've been to many, you will, when there comes that moment, to go, let's remember dear so-and-so, and the mic is passed or whatever, people will say one of two things almost entirely they will either say funny things that person did or moments when that person did something very selfless for them i remember the time dad came home exhausted he'd been working for 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 15 hours straight and he came home and i needed him dad laid down his tools laid down whatever it was and he came, and I knew how tired he was, but my father loved me. Then everybody in the place is crying like I am now, just thinking about the story I'm making up. This is, this is ridiculous. Grow <laughs> <Scroll> up, Stephen. <laughs> but I've, haven't you seen this? Come on. You've seen it too. You, and those are, the, those are the things they'll remember about you. It's those things you do for them, the, the selfless things, the kind things. Not the thi- not, they'll never remember how rich you were. They don't care. They never remember how many cars you had or how big you are or what title you had at your business. Those will not be mentioned. Promise. They'll mention what you did for them and the funny things you did too. Those are the things they'll talk about as they remember you because those are the things that matter. It's when we invest in others, we are honored and loved and they'll weep over you because they so loved you investing in them. If we cling, if we're selfish, if we hang on, they will sigh a sigh of relief. There are, there are other things where they weep in a, at, a, at a memorial service at, at unfulfilled potential, at missed opportunities. It's too late now to ever get it right. That's a whole nother kind of weeping. Number three, John stayed spiritually aware. Remember that? He watched for the next season. He was alert. And when Jesus arrived, he discovered, he discerned, pardon me, his true identity. Notice his choice of words. He must increase, but I must decrease. He refused self-pity. He refused to expect thanks and honor for his years of service. He refused to demand loyalty from the people as a reward for his faithfulness. Not, hey, where are you all going? To him, it was a matter of life and death. If the result of his labor was that people believed in him, he had failed. Because if their love and faith was focused on him, they would perish. If people believed in Jesus, they would have everlasting life. Conclusion. Let's remember what we've learned. Success requires not only achieving something significant, but also gracefully giving way when God says that time has come. Like John, I must remember, I'm part of God's plan. He's not part of mine. He decides what he'll bless. A change of seasons doesn't mean I failed. It may be proof I've completed my assignment. Number three, my goal is never to glorify myself. Now we say that, but it becomes very difficult, very painful, because our emotions and, our, and our, our insecurities get all wound into this thing. But my goal is never to glorify myself. It's always to help people love and honor Jesus, because He's the Savior, not me. And finally, I need to stay spiritually alert Listening and watching for God's guidance. I want to be able to recognize when he's asking me to change and rejoice, not become sad. Let's read John's words together once more. Would you turn with me to John 3? Just one more time. Just read those, the statement that he makes. Verse um, 27. John answered and said, Let's say it together. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Let's let's read read on through. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bride who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let me ask you a question and we're going to pray. Can you think of a time when God's plan for you changed, but you didn't realize what was happening? And instead of rejoicing, you grieved? Can you think of a time when God said, now that season's done, and he began to move you and change things? And you didn't understand this. And instead of rejoicing and saying, all right, Lord, if you're closing that chapter, you're opening a new one. And you, you and I grieve and hold on to the past. If we can see what John saw, that grief turns into joy. Can you discern, one more question, can you discern God's will for you? Is the season you're in now starting? continuing, or coming to an end. Holy Spirit, show us, teach us. We would be yielded disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we listen to this wonderful prophet, John the Baptist, his humility, his faith, his grace, as he gave way to you, as he allowed his own ministry to be closed down and transferred into another direction, He did it with joy because he trusted you. He loved you. He wanted people to love and know you as their savior. Lord, may that be our hearts as well. Where we have grieved or where we have been confused, where we have thought that the change of seasons was a failure and we've gone away condemned. We ask you to lift that from us. Just lift that from us. We want to live in the joy of the adventure. You are our faithful father and Lord. And we follow you and listen to you. Give us such hearts. You must increase. We must decrease. We can receive nothing except that which has been given us from heaven. But heaven loves us. And heaven gives us abundantly all we need for each season of our lives. We embrace the one we're in. We embrace the moment we're in. If it's time to be transferring and, and raising up others, teach us to do it, to do it well. If we're to continue and endure, give us strength and tenacity, Lord, to trust you day by day for physical, emotional, and mental strength. Blessed be the Lord who's numbered our days. Blessed be the Lord who has ordered our steps. We have a good, good Father and a marvelous Savior. And we honor you this day we're glad to be alive with all the turmoil we are glad to be alive in this generation with each other in this place blessed be the lord in jesus powerful name if you can agree with me would you say amen thanks for listening if you like this podcast please click the like button subscribe and share it with a friend for more information just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's publishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.